Okay. Um, we are talking about angels, Satan, and demons tonight. Joy, joy. <laughs> I know you've been looking forward to it. <clears throat> James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 says, Submit yourselves, therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you men of double mind. So thinking about uh, something that's, uh, depending upon who you talk to and where you are, I guess you get different perspectives from people. There are people who don't believe that uh, the spiritual world is real in any essence, that these things are just things that are made up. Uh, they're strictly into what's tangible, what's physical, and nothing more. And then there are people on the other extreme that uh, not only uh, believe that these things are real, but that they uh, swing so far in the pendulum that they become kind of consumed with them or obsessed with them. And that's not a healthy place to be either. I do believe Scripture is very clear that, uh, that these things are real, that, that, it's, that the spirit world is real. Uh, if we don't believe in the spirit world, we've got a hard time you know, understanding who God is, right? And uh, not to mention a good portion of creation that uh, Scripture uh, indicates are strictly spiritual beings. And that's kind of what we would begin with when we think about what are angels. And it's interesting. I saw a uh, survey, a poll, something... And uh, it actually was comparing, and I, I want to say that it was uh, based, that the polling actually took place of people in Britain, Europe, um, somewhere outside the U.S. And that if you went back 20 years ago, their attitudes and beliefs in angels and demons or the spirit realm has actually increased uh, in the last decade or two uh, profoundly. I mean, going from maybe 25 or 30 percent that believed 20 years ago to 50 or 60 percent today, which I find kind of interesting. If you've spent any time in the, the UK, one thing that's uh, very noticeable over there is that there's a heavy concentration of witchcraft. Um, they're very proud of their um, witch industry. Um, the New Forest, which is kind of in the south, southwestern section of uh, England, if I'm remembering correctly, that they have a lot of um, covens in that particular area. In fact, uh, 30 years ago when I spent time there, they boasted that there were over a thousand witch covens in that area. So it, it kind of struck me as odd that there would be that kind of increase in the belief in the spirit realm. Uh, when they've always had this affinity and affection for witchcraft, but I guess you can explain that away by saying they don't see witchcraft as being necessarily part of the spirit realm. It's more nature uh, from a lot of perspectives on those things. But anyway, it's an interesting thing. One of the reasons I think we've seen the spike go up, or maybe I should let you take a shot at that, why you think it's on the increase, if indeed it is. Specifically in England? In, in modern culture, Western culture. I think it's been uh, publicized, televised. Uh, not, not true, not true angels, but a version of angels. It's got to be popular science well, fiction. Yeah. The birth yeah. of the fantasy. Yeah. And there, there is a yes. Sir. I think that the that now witches and warlocks are not evil anymore. Um, they're they're portrayed as being good witches, good right. warlocks. Right. And I think it makes it more palatable for people. Well, Satan's always moving toward that angel of light. Halloween too has expanded as right. now the second largest spent holiday in the United States. 
sense of thinking through some of that. I think one of the things primarily that's that's motivating this spike is new ageism. New ageism has a big focus on angels and demons and things of that nature and um, James is right on track when you think about some of the television programming, you go back to Highway to Heaven with Michael Landon and uh, Touched by an Angel and, and, and you know, and all those programs and a lot of Christian people even are kind of mesmerized with those things and they think, okay, we got something we can watch, but, but it really is kind of a substitute and, and probably a, a misguided substitute for spiritual thinking uh, attitudes, all those kind of things. Because there's no reference to Christ, there's no pointing to God, it's just all about these creatures that are safe substitutes uh, in a spiritual realm. So I think probably some of these things, but I think New Ageism has a lot of focus on uh, angel activity, things of that nature, and we know that New Ageism uh, in the West has had a profound impact over the last uh, 30, 40 years. And you can maybe even make the case that the, the Beatles were a big part of that that rise, you know, with their big tour in the in the East and coming back and what some of them converted, didn't they? Was it, was it um, George Harrison that converted and started writing songs that was uh, new, new agey? And then you had Shirley MacLaine. You've had a lot of celebrities that have really uh, promoted it in a great way. So I think some of those things have probably contributed to this change. What are angels, though? Not to keep us off track here too long. Spiritual beings. They're spiritual beings. Yeah, they're made. They're they're not. Um, they they have not always existed. They're a part of the universe that God created. The uh, Nehemiah Nehemiah chapter nine verse six says, "You are the Lord. You alone. You have made heaven, the heavens of the heaven of heavens, with all their host." Uh, clearly, uh, an indication pointing to toward uh, angelic beings, uh, the spirit realm. Psalm 148, verses 2 through 5 says the same thing. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. So uh, angels are created beings. They're spiritual beings, which means what? They don't have physical bodies, usually. But they can take physical bodies. Uh, there, there are indications in Scripture that they do. Where, where would you point to to make that case? Three messengers Abraham. came to Abram. The three messengers that came to Abram in Genesis 18, 19. You can look at Balaam and Balaam's donkey. Uh, the angel of the Lord appeared. Um... Mary. When Satan appeared to Jesus. Uh, Satan appeared to Jesus as a spirit being. So there, there's clearly evidence there. We know they're spirit beings, but we know they take on some for, sort of tangible form at times. And um, what is it? Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself here. But Scripture says, and I'll get to the verse in a minute, that um, we are to... Um, minister to those that we encounter because we don't know that they might be angels or an angel. And it'd be a time of testing, essentially, is the implication, you know, that we are uh, representing Christ and ministering to people that, that an angel might be sent, take on some form for to find out, you know, whether we would minister to them or not. Kind of interesting, right? Uh, angels also exercise moral judgment. How do we know that? This is easy. This is an easy one. 
rebelled against God. And a third of the angels. A third of them went with Satan and rebelled against God. That's exactly right. And two-thirds of them didn't, by implication, didn't go. We also have evidence that the uh, places where we see angels uh, appearing in Scripture is that they have highly intelligent creatures. They, they interact with man. They, you know, they reason. They talk, uh, communicate, uh, bring messages in full. And um, some of them sinned, but many of them didn't. Uh, we know they sing praises to the Lord. Uh, the, the night that Jesus was born, they appeared to the shepherds. And they were, you know, tell them, don't be afraid of us. And they were singing praises, giving honor to God. So uh, they exercise decision-making, moral judgment. Angels are spirits. Uh, let's see, we said that. Let me give you some verses on that. Uh, Hebrews 1, 13, 14. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Luke 24, 39. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones. This is Jesus after his resurrection. Uh, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. They cannot usually be seen unless God grants that ability, which in some cases he has done. Uh, and I've mentioned Balaam in Numbers 22, 31. And the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. He saw the angel of the Lord. Uh, another one that we didn't mention was Elisha. Remember Elisha prayed in 2 Kings 6, 17 and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now there's a, a story that came from a missionary, uh, John Patton, who was uh, out in the, uh, the Pacific. Right? New, new, um, I'll think of it later. Uh, he shared this story. I've heard uh, it was in Billy Graham's book on angels, and it's been, it's pretty uh, common story out there anyway that Patton shared that his uh, wife and he, they were surrounded by hostile natives at their mission headquarters one night, uh, and the natives were intent on burning the Pattons out and killing them. And John Patton and his wife prayed all during that terror-filled night that God would deliver them. When daylight came, they were amazed to see the attackers unaccountably leave. And they thanked God for delivering them. A year later, the chief of the tribe was converted to Christ. And Mr. Patton, remembering what had happened, asked the chief what had kept him and his men from burning down the house and killing them. And the chief replied in surprise, Who were all those men you had with you there? The missionary answered, There were no men there, just my wife and I. The chief argued that they had seen many men standing guard, hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords in their hands. And they seemed to circle the mission station so that the natives were afraid to attack. <coughs> what about some other names for angels? Scripture uh, refers to them as sons of God. Messengers. Uh, holy ones. Watchers. Watchers. defer to Grudem on that. He studied a lot more than I have. Uh, some of those could be a little bit confusing at times. But these are other terms that we see used in the English translation of scriptures referring to angelic spirits, uh, spirit beings that are doing the bidding of God. Now, um, other kinds of heavenly beings...
the I am is uh, is like our s. So that's the plural of cherub, talking about a good number of cherub. What is it? Well, let's look up some scriptures and see uh, if we find out anything. All right, JC, if you'll take uh, Genesis 3.24. Russ, if you'll take Exodus 25.22. Gary, you want one? Sure. Uh, how about you take... Uh, Psalm 18.10. Let's see. Um, Y'all remember Johnny, right? Johnny Passon? Mm -hmm. Johnny stumbled back down to Georgia, all the way from Pennsylvania. Um, you want one? Sure. All right. Uh, how about you taking Revelation 4, 6 through 8? Let's see. Daniel, if you'll take Isaiah 6, 2 through 7. And I'm going to stop right there for a second. All right. Cherubim, Genesis 3, 24. He drove out of the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed cherubims by in a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay, so after the sin... God made Adam, and Eve leave, made Adam and Eve leave the garden, and he stationed cherubim at the entrance to the garden to keep them from coming back in. He sealed it off. Exodus 25, 22. It says, We'll place the cover on top of the ark and put in the ark the testimony which I will give you, and there above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. You've seen pictures of the ark, right? Bots, and I'm not much of an artist here, but well, let's see. These wings kind of come over like this and meet. So this is the ark. <coughs> And inside you had the uh, law, the Ten Commandments, and you had the uh, rod of manna, and you had the rod that budded. Um, and then on top you had the mercy seat. This was all gold-plated. And this is where uh, the cherubim met each other. Their wings touched in the middle. And, and it's, the picture is... You know, this being the, the holy place before God. And so when they brought blood in and the sacrifice, they would the priest would sprinkle it on the mercy seat before God. So he was uh, propitiated uh, in his wrath and his judgment. Um, but that's they're there to kind of guard the glory of God. Cherubim. Uh, Daniel, do you have the next one? Yes. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And the one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Is it through seven, right? Yeah. Gary, read yours. Uh, I'm not done with that. Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in my hand a burning, in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Okay. Gary, read yours. He rode upon a cherub and flew, and he sped upon the wings of the wind. Okay. So another reference to, to the... Some sort of angelic being. <coughs> How are they different from angels? I don't know. I mean, this is this is basically what we know is what we know, right? So, 
we, we see these creatures. They, there seems to be an order, a different order of angels. Don't know what that means. Seraphim, this word means serpent. Okay, it's where we get a word serpent from. So you've got, if you look this up, and I'm, I'm not even going to try to draw this. It's described as serpentine in nature and having like six sets of hands, you know. So I mean, from us, that's kind of a grotesque picture in our minds, but they're obviously glorious in their appearance, as we read, okay? So again, some form of order of spirit creatures that God has made that seems to be different, distinct from angels, and distinct from cherubim. You begin to get a little bit of a sense here of God's creativity and, and you know, vastness in what he's doing. We tend to be kind of limited, don't we? We know we made man, he made creation, the stars, we see that, and then we know angels. We get that. And we have in our mind uh, this mental image of what an angel is. But when you start getting into Scripture and you find out that there's different orders, even within these spiritual creatures, that we can't even begin to describe. You get into Ezekiel, and we didn't read that one, and you've got you've got these angelic creatures that have faces facing each direction, you know, four faces on this, this creature, so that they are always watching. You know, Mark used the word watchers, where they there's nothing out of sight. You know, you imagine if you had eyes, two eyes here and two in the back of your head and two here. Joe, you'd be in great shape, wouldn't you? You could see Yvonne when she was coming. Right? Don't tell her I said that, because I know she packs. Okay, um, Revelation 4, 6 through 8. And before the throne, as it were, a sea of glass like a crystal, in the midst of the throne, and round about the throne, four living creatures, full of eyes before and behind. And the first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had a face as of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, having each one of them six wings, are full of eyes round about and within. They have no rest day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. So you have yet another distinct order within this angelic order called living creatures. And, and you just heard the different descriptions, one like a lion, one like what? A lion, an, an eagle, a bear. I don't know. The picture here is something of, of powerful capabilities. Powerful capabilities. You know? And again, from our perspective, we go, okay, lion, you know... These are ferocious. They're not, we don't, you know, might be intimidated by them. What's it saying? It's saying to us that these creatures are mysterious. There's a mysterious aspect here. You know, I've heard these described as cherubim uh, in a mysterious realm, different from what we've described up here. Living creatures. We've got I've always some... struggled with Revelation because that imagery is so haunting. Yeah. Yet, you know, intellectually, Revelation's awesome. But emotionally, you know, lions and calves and wings and... It's challenging. And yeah, it's challenging. It's a dichotomy. And then when you start looking at the judgments that unpack, it, it really does get uh, kind of messy. So, <clears throat> uh, other kinds of heavenly beings. Is there a rank and order among the angels, among the spiritual beings? We seem to kind of think there might be. Uh, you have one angel who goes by the name of Michael, and he's called an archangel in Jude chapter 9. Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, again, we don't really know, but, but he's singled out and given this kind of special title, which indicates rule or authority over other angels, um, possibly even a leader in an angelic army. The scripture says in 1 Thessalonians 4.16 that the Lord, when he returns, is going to return from heaven with the archangel's call. Okay, so that's, uh, that's kind of impressive. Uh, we know we have guardian angels. This is where everybody kind of gets uh, 
you know, sentimental connections and stuff. This is where we start liking this. That's why the, the popular version of angels, uh, the new ageism, the, the television versions that we get, all these things play into our, our desires at this point. So, guardian angels. Does God send angels for our protection? Let's look in Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. Look at there. There's the answer. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. So clearly he does. He commands his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Matthew 18.10, he says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. Jesus is talking. He says, For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So they, they are guardians. It's encouraging, right? The power of angels. Psalm 103.20 says, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word. 2 Peter 2.11, Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. They have incredible power. For a time, the scripture says that Jesus was made lower than the angels. We are lower, but there's coming a time where we're going to rule, reign over these angels. But they have incredible power, according to scripture. What about the place of angels in God's purpose? Angels show the greatness of God's love and plan for us. How would you think that is? Angels show the greatness of God's love and plan for us. Well, first of all, angels are not made in God's image. We are. Right? Mm -hmm. So even as great and, and incredibly wonderful powerful, all those things that angels are, God made them distinct from himself in some way and from us. But he made us in the image of God. So that's, that, that is implying, it's, it's showing us that, that angels are showing the greatness of God's love for and plan for us. We will someday have authority over the angels. 1 Corinthians 6.3 tells us that. Another one is angels don't procreate. God didn't tell angels to, to procreate, fill the earth, and subdue it. He told man to, right? So we're kind of taking the negative view of looking at them to understand his greatness and love for us. Can angels be saved? You're shaking your head, Aaron. Why not? Um, How do you know they can? Well... There's all the ones that are <coughs> Satan, and there's there's not redemption offered for them. And uh, what's the verse that says they've they look at us at us in awe, right? Yes. Look up um, look up Second Peter two four. Second Peter two four. Surely you want to get Hebrews 2.16? You got it? Yeah. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to change of chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a uh, herald of righteousness with seven others, um, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. This one goes for a while, right? You want me read, to read? read the first, first line again. Okay. For God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. 
we know that um, in Genesis 1, God made creation. When you get to the end of chapter 1, what does God tell us? It's all good. God's, God said it's good. If God said it's good, then it's good, right? No problems. <coughs> but by the time we get to Genesis 3, what do we know? Huh? No longer good. Well, we know something's happened, don't we? We've had, we, we've got sin, we've got Satan. We don't know what happened in there, but we know when we get here because Satan then tempts Adam and Eve, and that leads to the fall in the Garden of Eden. Okay? So somewhere between here, like I think it's like verse 31 where God pronounces everything good. In the beginning of Genesis 3, some stuff stuff went awry. These angels, these moral, uh, these creatures with moral judgment capabilities made a decision to rebel. A third of them did. And the scripture tells us that when they did, God said there would be no redemption. There's no coming back from that. They were immediately judged, if you will. They were banished. They were confined to a place where he says that they're held... Uh, at bay from all of creation. Now, how you reconcile that with you know, what we are getting to here in a minute of having uh, spiritual warfare even in this, in this creation, I'm not quite sure of unless they have opportunity to leave those pits, those chains, and actually carry out evil in the world as we know it today, you know, how that works. But it's very clear that that God didn't spare them. That he didn't give them a second chance like he did us. He's given us an opportunity for grace, for mercy. But they, the, that third of angels didn't get that. All those unanswered questions, right? <clears throat> so they cannot be saved. Hebrews 2.16. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. Okay. So God's not... God's not concerning himself with helping these angels that fell, but he is concerned with working with fallen man to redeem him. Interesting concept that will wear your mind out if you try to think about it too long. Angels also remind us that the unseen world is real. Just because it's unseen doesn't mean it doesn't exist. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, no angel, no spirit. That's why they're sad, you see. Oh. Come on, I've been working on that all week. you got to give me that one. It's the delivery. <laughs> there are people in our world today that would deny the existence of angels. Uh, we have scripture references that are very clear that, uh, that they are real. Uh, Numbers 22, 31, the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. He saw the angel of the Lord. 2 Kings 6, 17, and Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Hebrews 12, 22, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels to festal gathering. In festal gathering. So the Bible makes no, minces no words about it. It's very clear uh, that they are real. Angels are also, are also served to be examples for us, specifically in their obedience and their worship. They offer us an example to emulate. Isaiah 6.3 that Daniel read earlier, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In Revelation 5, 11, and 12, I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbers numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. Angels carry out some of God's plans. Let me know... How much? Let's 
For instance, somebody they make announcements. Make announcements to tell uh, a young Hebrew girl that she's going to be the uh, mother of Jesus, the Savior of the world, that God has chosen her, that He's highly favored her for this purpose. What else? Can we get revelation? They carry out a lot of the plagues and stuff. In the... Yeah, so announcements, judgments. else? They started Israelites in their Exodus. What? They brought food. You know, what's interesting, I think, is that when you do a little background on these angels and just how, you know, the, the people who have seen them, the appearances that we've had recorded suggest that they're large, they're powerful, they're, you know, they're glorious, um, and that God doesn't use them for everything, right? You know, that from our limited viewpoint, we can look at the things that God's doing in His program and His purpose and say, well, you know, he could have been much more effective if he just used those angels. And those guys can really get it done, right? But he chooses to use us. He chooses to use, um, you know, insignificant, ordinary, non-impressive people to carry out a lot of his work. He does use angels, but uses other means as well. Uh, they, they accompany Jesus at his second coming. Uh, Zechariah tells us that they patrol the earth, that they're watching over the earth in Zechariah 1, verses 10 and 11. So they do carry out the plans of God. Angels directly glorify God. Psalm 103, verse 20 says, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word. Luke 15, 10, I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Any of you ever read um, a couple of books back, oh gosh, dating myself now, uh, the, the two books that Peretti wrote, This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness. Piercing the Darkness, that's right. I think it was the second one. I mean, this has been, what's it been, 25 years ago? 20? 25 years ago. Uh, they're really good books. Uh, they're, they're actually pretty accurate as what we have in Scripture. It's kind of an author taking what Scripture tells us and kind of writing um, novels that describe the spiritual work that's going on around us, uh, on the earth, uh, that, that we're unaware of most often. And, and it's a pretty good depiction, I think, of, of what's, uh, what the Bible portrays for us. But the second book, I believe it is, and there, there a woman reporter in that, that she's kind of following up on some things in this little town where these Christians are, you know, they're engaged in spiritual warfare that's going on. And, and through this, she, she comes under conviction. She starts to desire to want to follow Christ. And she is alone I think it is out in a park or somewhere and she's so moved that she kneels down and commits her life to Christ and Peretti portrays this thing while she's doing that that there's a circle of angels gathered around her kneeling with her at that moment and and that's kind of what we see indicated here what Grudem's pointing out I, I think uh, when he points out these verses is that the angels are directly glorifying God and they're serving uh, the, the creatures of God 
according to God's bidding. And uh, it's a pretty interesting thought. They praise God for the salvation, the plan of salvation, appearing to shepherds at Jesus' birth. And most likely in things when people come to Christ, they are right there in the middle of it, though we don't see them. Singing praises to God, giving thanks to God, uh, rejoicing in what He's done. Even though the Scripture tells us that we just read, they don't really understand the deeper things of salvation. Right? They long to look into these things, Hebrews 6. How about our relationship to angels? Do you have a personal angel? Are you aware of an angel's presence and working in your life? It's a trick question, Bob. Most of us are probably not aware of those things. Now, there are people that will that will share testimonies of things they believe they've had encounters. I, I was listening to one just the other day where a lady was sharing about uh, her mother um, having a, uh, a health issue, a massive heart attack, and she'd been ill anyway, and they took her to the emergency room, and she and they and her mother had a do not resuscitate order, but basically, you know, they were using the paddles and. And saying, you know, should we bring her back? Should we resuscitate her? Or do you want us to let her go? And she said she was all alone. She didn't know what to do. And she was, it kind of caught her off guard. And, and so she said, yes, do it. And they, and they did. They brought her back. And, and she didn't know if she'd done the right thing. And she looks up and there's this little woman standing at the end of the bed and said, you did the right thing. And she said, it's a little blonde woman. Um, and said, you know, and as people started gathering around, she started looking for this woman because she wanted to talk to her. And there was no woman fitting the description that worked on the staff there in the ER or fit the description of anybody in her family. And when she shared this with her husband, who wasn't there at that time, who was a doctor, and that was his first response, was that you know, God sent an angel to encourage you in this moment of despair. <clears throat> was it, wasn't it? I don't know. Bottom line is that God does do things of this nature. These people, these these creatures are at His bidding, and He does use them. And Scripture indicates that they are working around us at all times, even though we're not aware of it, even though we may not see them. God may not give us that ability to see them, that tangible evidence to know they're there, but He does. And we want to believe that, don't we? We we want to believe that we have angels watching over us and caring for us and uh, taking care of some of those things that uh, uh, might uh, harm us or whatever. The Bible clearly indicates that we should be aware of angels and their ministry in our lives. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So, you never know. Daniel 6.22, My God sent His angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before Him. God sent an angel to let Peter out of jail, right, in Acts. Had to poke him a time or two, I think, to uh, wake him up. But Angels are observing our obedience and disobedience daily. Now, this is a sobering thing to me, to think that, you know, we think... We think that we have opportunities to operate in secret. You know, that, that we do things that nobody's watching, nobody's seeing. But it's not true. That their eyes always on us. They are watchers. One of the names that's used in Scripture. That, that God Himself is omnipresent, so we can't get away from Him, but that these angels are around us all the time. So nothing we do is ever in secret, fully. It's encouraging to think that the good things we, um, we do are not in secret either, that uh, when we do something that's a, a good deed or something that uh, we wished, you know, sometimes you do something, you say, I wish, you know, people usually see the bad things I do. Uh, it'd be nice if they could see the good thing I do. Well, they do. The angels are there watching, observing, and they are taking all these things in. The Bible indicates that angels sometimes interact in a tangible, visible way. We've We've hit a couple of those, and this should challenge us to be alert to ministry opportunities that cross our path because you never know 
what God's doing. I mean, the scripture indicates that he might test us uh, in this way. Uh, some warnings, cautions. Uh, we need to beware of false doctrine from angels. False doctrine from angels. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Uh, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. <clears throat> 1 Kings 13, 18, the lying prophet. Uh, in that passage, there was a, a prophet, a man who met an angel that misled him, deceived him. Uh, he believed, and so he got himself in a lot of trouble for that. Satan will use uh, our desires against us in these cases. You also know about uh, Muhammad's angel, uh, Jibreel, is that right? Close enough? Anybody going to correct me? Okay, then it's right. Jibreel, who revealed to him the beginnings of what would later become the Quran. Uh, Moroni, anybody know the angel Moroni? Who? Yeah, Joseph Smith. That's the one Joseph Smith said brought him the golden uh, oracles, the golden tablets that became... Uh, the Book of Mormon, and uh, the rest is history. Yes, something like that. But do not worship angels or pray to them. There's a resurgence of interest and intrigue with angels today, as we said, through the television broadcast, through uh, New Ageism and things of that nature. And, uh, and we can use those things to lead us in this path of idolatry, uh, if you will, that we find it easy to worship this imagery. You know, angels, we think of angels as being really just good. You know, they're always doing positive, good things. They're not really bearers of truth necessarily, so there's no conviction. We don't, we don't have to worry about being convicted of anything with an angel most of the time. It's not the way we think anyway. But when you encounter Christ, when you encounter the truth of God's word, conviction always comes, doesn't it? So we like to be religious. We just would like to take the truth and the conviction and maybe take Christ and put him over here somewhere and focus on the part that we can kind of control that, that fits our agenda. So those things have a niche in our, in our culture today. Colossians 2.18 says, um, let's see, I just mentioned something. We already mentioned Touched by an Angel, Highway to Heaven. Uh, the John Travolta movie, Michael, did anybody see that? Um, I challenged Luke to show that to his youth tonight, but he said he wasn't going to. Uh, Colossians 2.18. It was a test, by the way, to see if he would do it. Colossians 2.18 says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Revelation 19.10, Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Okay, any questions about angels? Anything you want to know about angels that we haven't informed you of tonight? Yes, sir. They don't marry. They do not marry, do not procreate. Right. Um, in fact, uh, when asked about what would be going on with us human beings in eternity, Jesus said, didn't he compare us to angels and say we'd be like that, neither giving in marriage or those kind of things? Yes, sir. But in the Pilum, the, the children of sons of God and yeah, that's um, that's a pretty con that's a pretty controversial uh, passage that nobody really knows what that means. Uh, a lot of a lot of people, including including Grudem, believe that that that's a reference to. <coughs> people that were believers intermarrying with unbelievers. Sons of God right. and the daughters of men. Uh, you want to say something about the, the statement that we will judge the angels? What does that mean? I don't, I don't know. Is that first Corinthians? Is that where that was? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, what it indicates there is that, that angels at some point in time when we are in the eternal state as being conformed to the image of Christ that that we will be elevated above them and command angels is the way you would think to take it. Uh, now what that means exactly, I don't know. 
But not in terms of sin, because they, they would not be sinners. No, 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 no. This, this is more about in, you know, we're, we're all uh, glorified. We're in a glorified state, in the eternal state. Then part of our responsibility would be to judge over, to rule over, to command, uh, supervise. Well, I don't, you know, I don't be know. elevated to a place. Right. That's right. Not actual, what we normally think of as. Judging a, like a judge, you're guilty. Yeah. Or, no, no, no. No, because, I mean, I think what you have is that with angels, you know, that we said they have moral judgment capabilities, but we don't see any evidence that that continues to this day. In other words, we don't see more angels deciding to follow Satan today than at, at one time between Genesis 1 and 3 when they made a decision, all that were going went, and that those that went are evil, they're demons now, and those that don't aren't and that, that there's no continuance of adding to the numbers moving forward so at some point before the fall before satan entered into the garden all of that took place where satan most likely yeah. most likely somebody said something else i was going to ask angels that follow the devil are they Well, we that the scripture that we read there in Second Peter a few minutes ago uh, tells us that that God didn't give them a second chance; that they were placed in a pit, that they were placed in chains. So, he, in other words, I think what that indicates is that they don't they don't do anything without God's permission; that He has them on a leash. Okay. Now, does that mean that He allows them, just like He allows Satan, to continue to? run loose to a certain extent I think it probably does because we wouldn't have the problems today if he didn't um, but specifically we don't we don't know exactly we only know what we know but they are bound and can't go it's like they're restrained they're restrained it's like Job in Job where exactly. God told Satan you can uh, touch what he owns that's right but you cannot touch him that's right. Um, oh, well, we can't get down tonight. Um, okay, well, I'm going to stop there. We'll talk about demons next week. We'll try to catch up. We get so far behind tonight. Y'all weren't talking a lot. Huh?